Hear now a reading from Psalm 29, beginning with verse 1. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of His name. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forests bare. And in His temple all say, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as King forever. May the Lord give strength to His people. May the Lord bless His people with peace. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You probably know from high school history class that centuries ago people believed the earth was the center of the universe. People assumed that the sun, moon, stars, and planets all revolved around the earth. And this is something not only believed by the average person, but also members of the scientific community. This geocentric view held sway until the mid-16th century when it was challenged by Copernicus, Galileo, and Kepler, who insisted that the sun, not the earth, was at the center. Gradually, a geocentric model was replaced by a heliocentric model. This change ushered in a scientific revolution, what philosophers call a paradigm shift. A paradigm is a distinct set of concepts and practices that together define a scientific discipline at any particular period of time. And a paradigm shift is when established theories prove to be inadequate and better ideas replace them. It is a kind of tectonic shift in knowledge that radically changes the way that we think about and understand an entire area of knowledge. The shift from an Earth-centric to a Sun-centric universe was this kind of revolution in our understanding of the cosmos. Although paradigm shifts are rare, there are other important examples in history, like the development of quantum theory in physics, evolutionary theories in biology, and germ theory in medicine. This raises an interesting question. When a long accepted explanation of how the world works breaks down or is shown to be flawed, what emotion most helps scientists delve further and leap into the unknown? According to Dr. Helen DeCruz, a philosophy professor 
at St. Louis University, that emotion is awe, wonder and awe. De Cruz says awe increases our tolerance for uncertainty and opens our receptivity to new and unusual ideas, which are crucial for paradigm change. Noting that awe is also a spiritual and moral emotion, she argues that all clear cases of awe have two components, an experience of vastness and a need for a mental accommodation to that vastness. Now this might seem a little obtuse, but it pans out when we reflect on our own experience. So think about the last time you experienced wonder and awe. For me, it was back in February when flying into San Salvador for a surf trip. Here is a picture that I took as we were making our initial descent. When looking out an airplane window at 35,000 feet, you get a sense of how big the world is. Mountains look like paintings on a small canvas and large structures like shopping malls look like tiny dots. <laughs> Huge waves breaking near the coastline look like thin white lines drawn on blue paper. And what is even more amazing is the vastness of the sky and the enormous fluffy clouds, all of which remind me of the pictures of heaven that you can find in children's Bibles. This astonishing experience reminds me of how small I am in the grander scheme of things and the significant limitations that shape my personal perspective of the world. Because the experience pushes beyond my normal experience, my mind seeks an accommodation. It tries to scale and categorize what I am seeing so that I can better connect with the experience in a meaningful way. And when my mind is doing this kind of work, I'm aware of it. <laughs> I know that I'm trying to make things smaller so I can more fully grasp them. Nothing makes this clearer than when I take a picture only to look at it and think, this doesn't even begin to capture what I'm seeing. Have you had this experience? Maybe you took a shot of a beautiful full moon on your iPhone and it resulted in an underwhelming image of a tiny white circle. This is kind of what our brains do when trying to grasp events that push beyond our normal experiences and ways of categorizing things. We take a mental picture to help us better grasp what we are experiencing. But this mental picture scales everything down and fails to capture the wonder of the moment. De Cruz goes on to explain that this sense of awe is essential in our search for knowledge. In fact, a person who lacks a sense of awe will not have the drive to become a good scientist. Someone who is capable of changing his or her mind when new evidence calls for it. I find this to be true in my own experience as a pastor. Close-minded people seem to be afraid of awe, wonder, and mystery. They seem allergic to ambiguity, curiosity, and creativity. 
as they insist on certainty and being right at all costs, they lose their capacity to be surprised. This is particularly tragic and strange among religious people who have gotten enslaved to a rigid and dogmatic belief system, imprisoned in the narrow teachings of their particular tribe, they close themselves off to deeper experiences of God that transcend those teachings and lead to new insight and spiritual growth. And this brings us back to our scripture reading this morning, taken from Psalm 29, a psalm that is filled with wonder and awe. Listen again to these few verses that we read. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders, the Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, one of the leading Jewish theologians and philosophers of the 20th century, insisted that awe is critical for not taking the world for granted and thus losing the ability to experience it with depth and reverence. That means awe is a pathway not only to knowledge, but also to wisdom and to God. Unfortunately, we live in an age where we are not awed by much, and we take for granted wonders that previous generations marveled at. In this context, we may try to fabricate a sense of awe, and the church is not immune to this temptation. Some congregations spend inordinate amounts of money on set designs, lights, videos, smoke machines, and special effects to try to fabricate a sense of wonder because they think that if they can fabricate this kind of mountaintop experience that inspires awe every Sunday, people will keep coming back to their church. But this is a foolish approach because true wonder and awe cannot be fabricated. Just think of the expression, I was awestruck. Experiencing awe is something that happens to us, something that catches us off guard and interrupts our normal ways of thinking and feeling. In fact, the most powerful experiences of awe tend to happen when we least expect it. And this helps us to see that awe is a precious gift given to us by a higher power, which we cannot control, coerce, or manipulate. So our challenge is not to fabricate awe, but to learn to recognize and receive it as a gift and to figure out what God might be trying to say to us through these kinds of experiences. While we cannot fabricate awe, there are things that we can do to open ourselves to these kinds of experiences. For example, we can leave our homes and spend some time in nature, paying attention to the beauty all around us. We can turn off the television and watch our children play. We can listen to a symphony 
walk through an art museum or attend a play that touches on the human uh, experience of love. We can go to church and get lost in the wonder of true worship. We can connect to the presence of God through silent contemplation or meditate on a beautiful icon. These are just a few ways we can open ourselves to receive the gift of awe, which has the power to renew our souls and deepen our sense of meaning and value in the world. We find an example of this in the work of Presbyterian theologian Frederick Bruckner. He once talked about seeing a forest of giant redwoods for the very first time. He said, there were some small children nearby giggling and chattering and pushing each other around. Nobody had to tell them to quiet down as we entered. They quieted down all by themselves. Everybody did. You couldn't hear a sound of any kind. It was like coming into a vast empty room. Two or three hundred feet high, the redwoods stood. They made you realize that all your life you had been mistaken. Oaks and ashes, maples and chestnuts and elms you had seen for as long as you could remember. But never until this moment had you so much as dreamed what a tree really was. The kids probably didn't have the life experience to identify what they were feeling as awe. But that emotion was there and it struck them quiet. At this point, you may be thinking, okay, but what's the point? Why does God give us these kinds of experiences? And I would say that there are at least a few different reasons. First, they have a way of infusing life with more meaning and value. We sometimes go through difficult seasons when life becomes boring and empty, and we sense a loss of meaning and purpose. This is powerfully captured in a Pink Floyd song called One of My Turns, which is on their album, The Wall. It says, day after day, love turns gray like the skin of a dying man, and night after night, we pretend it's all right but I have grown older and you have grown colder and nothing is very much fun anymore. But I can feel one of my turns coming on. I feel cold as a razor blade, tight as a tourniquet, dry as a funeral drum. When life loses meaning in this way, God can give us experiences that inspire awe and remind us of the beauty and gift of life. Experiences that touch our souls with a new sense of meaning, value, and purpose. God can also give us these experiences to humble us. You know, sometimes we get full of ourselves. <laughs> we think that we are much bigger than we really are, more powerful and more important than we really are. And God can give us an experience of awe to humble us. Similarly, we can get self-absorbed in both positive and negative ways. We can get self-absorbed in pride 
focusing on how good and valuable we are, and spending an enormous amount of time projecting that image to others, or we can get self-absorbed in pity, focusing on all of our problems or the many ways that we fall short. While these might seem like different experiences, they have one thing in common. They are self-focused. In contrast, awe is a self-transcendent emotion because it focuses our attention away from ourselves and toward our environment. Awe has a way of making us forget about ourselves. Have you ever experienced moments like this when you just forgot about yourself? It can be so freeing to drop the burdens of self-involvement so that we can just relax into the world and delight in the beauty of the present moment. And sometimes God elicits wonder to free us from the burden of self. Finally, God can elicit awe to create a paradigm shift in our lives. And this is what is most interesting to me this morning. Think back on the children in the Redwood Forest. Again, the kids may not have had the life experience to identify what they were feeling as awe, but it would not be surprising if in that moment one of those kids fell in love with nature or was later inspired to pursue a career in ecology. Or maybe one of those kids had an awakening in the experience of awe to think about God for the first time. Awe has the power to set a new direction for a person's life, can move us closer to God, and can even create personal paradigm shifts. We often say that there is something spiritual going on when we feel awe, whether we recognize it as such and whether we are a believer. And one reason we say this is because awe can lead us to new belief in God. For example, if we are awestruck while sitting atop a beautiful mountain range, we might be led from thinking, the world is all about me, to the world is larger than me, to the idea that there must be a God that created this beautiful world. Abraham Lincoln once said, I never behold the heavens filled with stars that I do not feel I am looking in the face of God. I can see how it might be possible for a man to look down upon the earth and be an atheist, but I cannot conceive how he could lie looking up into the heavens and say, there is no God. Now, we know that this is not everybody's experience. And some people do say there is no God. But we also know that people find God through different channels. God uses various gateways to come into our lives. And the point I'm trying to make is that awe is one such gate. We may experience awe when we are struck by the beauty of a sunset, the surge and thunder of the ocean, the quiet of a late summer evening, or the resonance, the, the resonance of good poetry and music. We might be awed by the intricacy of the human body 
or by the vastness of the sky on a clear night when all the stars become visible. And these kinds of experiences all says to us, this is life beyond what I have known. And for some, it becomes an intimation of God. And as all brings us closer to God, it can create spiritual paradigm shifts. They have the power to drastically change the way that we see and experience God, how we read the Bible, pray, worship, and serve others. An example of this can be found in Christian mysticism. Now, people have always had profound experiences of God, but there was a group of people in the early church who spent much time reflecting and writing on the meaning and implications of these experiences. As they did this, common themes emerged. For example, all of them talked about the importance of silence, about how they encountered God in silence, and how the experience itself rendered them silent. All of them also talked about the inadequacy of human language to describe their encounters with God like taking a picture of a full moon on your iPhone, the descriptions of their mystical encounters paled in comparison to the experience itself. In fact, much of their writing was about how these encounters cannot be adequately described, but only experienced firsthand. They also agreed that these experiences help them to realize that God is much bigger and more mysterious than they originally thought, and that they were much smaller than they were previously willing to admit. This reminded them of the importance of humility in Christian discipleship, which also included intellectual humility, rendered silent in the ineffable presence of God, they came to embrace learned ignorance. The idea that the more we know, the more we know that we don't know. <laughs> Since human language is itself limited by human experience, everything we say about God is in some sense analogical or metaphorical. Because the reality of God cannot be contained in human language, nor can it be exhaustively known by the human mind. The vastness of God, the depth and breadth of God's incomparable presence, and the utter novelty of their experiences led them to see God as the mystery of the world, as the indescribable ground of being. Taken together, all of these insights, which emerged out of experiences of wonder and awe, led to a paradigm shift in their religious understanding and practice. As I already mentioned, it changed the way they saw God. Instead of a grandfather-like figure with divine superpowers sitting on a throne in a faraway place called heaven, <laughs> they came to see God as the mystery of the world in which we all live, breathe, move, and have our being. 
It also changed the way that they related to God. Instead of focusing on understanding God, they stressed the importance of trusting God. As N.T. Wright says in his book, Simply Good News, the idea that you might begin by looking this God up and down, giving him a cool appraisal, and then if you understood him and approved of him, you might respond to him, is to deny that he is God at all. If he is God, our primary role is not to analyze him, but to worship him. It is not for us to figure him out, but to let him figure us out. <laughs> These profound experiences of God also changed the way they prayed. Instead of spending hours prattling on about themselves, their problems, and their wishes, the mystics sat in silent contemplation listening for God's still small voice and trying to more fully awaken to God's omnipresence. The paradigm shift also changed the way they read scripture. Fully convinced of the limitations of human language to describe God and God's activity in this world, they saw the inadequacies of a strict literal reading of the Bible. They understood that some parts of the Bible were best read symbolically, analogically, metaphorically, or poetically. These are just a few examples of how their awe-inspiring mystical experiences of God created a spiritual paradigm shift and revolutionized every aspect of their faith. If you want to learn more on this topic, I recommend a book titled the Big Book of Christian Mysticism by Carl McCollman. As you can see, awe is required not only for the day-to-day -day working of science and as a catalyst for scientific revolutions, but it is also an important way that God connects with us and creates spiritual paradigm shifts. So when we are awestruck it is a good idea to consider what God may be saying to us through that emotion. It is also a good idea to experience this emotion with an openness to change. As we conclude this morning, I encourage you to ask yourself, when was the last time I was awestruck? Am I open and seeking these experiences? Or am I so distracted, busy, or self-absorbed that I wouldn't feel awe if God hit me upside the head with it? <laughs> God tries to give you the gift of wonder, but do you have eyes to see and a heart and mind ready to receive? When you are awestruck, do you quickly dismiss it and get back to business as usual? Or do you pause, breathe it in, and ask God to show you what He's trying to say to you? Are you open to radical change? Are you willing to admit when you were wrong? Are you willing to give up what you thought you knew for a deeper kind of wisdom? How would your life be different if you were more intentional about seeking out and reflecting on these kinds of awe-inspiring experiences? May these questions and others that God brings to your heart, open you up to the kinds of changes
that God is trying to make in your life. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we stand before you in awe and wonder. You are the creator of the universe. You save us. You sustain us in every moment of our lives. And you are glorious and magnificent and great. That's why we come and worship you, God, because you are worthy of our praise. We thank you for the moments in which you have elicited awe and wonder in our hearts, especially during those times when you have used that awe and wonder to draw us closer to you and to bring, it, bring about important changes in our lives. God, help us to be uh, open to experiencing the awe and wonder of your presence and the awe and wonder of this magnificent world in which we live so that we can continue to draw close to you. We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.